Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Man, um, I am uh, very excited, not because of all this haze, but because um, today we start a new series that is going to be 13 weeks long. A 13-week series. And you know, as we went through 2020, I, I think a lot of us witnessed the church fall away. We watched people who were in church um, fall away, people who once claimed to believe Jesus or follow Jesus. Um, I think it was exposed that maybe there weren't some roots grown there. And what the church realized and what I realized as a leader really was convicted of, of maybe we haven't done a great job creating and producing disciples real followers of Jesus Christ. So as we came back together, now that we're back in our buildings, our, our leadership took some time and, and we, we approached things with the mindset of we can't do things the way we've always do, done them. Yeah. And just Sunday mornings is not enough. If we just put our focus as a church on Sunday mornings, then we're not really going to be discipling people. So what we began to do was think, have conversations. What can we do that will be more effective in our pursuit of discipling the people of Destiny Church? What can we do that will produce better disciples? So I'm excited for this series and really for this season as a church because um, this series specifically is built different than any other series we've ever done. It's called the series, but I would almost classify it as a package. It's like a 13-week package for you and for me. And if we press in, if we throw ourselves at it, I believe it'll be trans- transformational for me and for you. Like we, we claim we want to be transformed and that's our word for the year 2021. Um, but we knew if, if we're going to see transformation, we can't come back and do what we've always done, right? So if you're in the room, you got a phone, I want you to go ahead and take your phone out. You'll see some of those flyers in your seats. Um, But I want you guys to text this number because I want to kind of break down and and cast a little bit of vision for what this series is going to be and what you can expect. And I want to invite you to take this 13-week journey with us. Get out your phone, open up your text box, and punch in the number 417-765-0331. I think I have a graphic back here. I want you guys to text Jesus to 417-765-0331. Three, one. When you do that, here's what you can expect. On Monday and Tuesday, you guys are going to receive a two to three minute devotional video on the teachings of Jesus. So our series is called The Life of Christ, but almost a more appropriate name would really be The Teachings of Jesus. For 13 weeks, we are going to deeply and richly explore what did Jesus teach us? If, if Jesus is our rabbi, if Jesus is our teacher, what did he teach us? So, so Monday and Tuesday, you're going to get a two to three minute devotional sent to your phone. Wednesday nights, man, this is, might be the most exciting part for me, um, but we're going to have Life of Christ life groups, and we're going to do an in-house here at the church at 630. But what's even better is you're like, man, what am I going to do with my kids? We got child care provided for some of the older kids. We're going to have a kid service. Uh, we're going to have a youth service in here for our middle schoolers and teens and then grown folk. We're going to meet across the street in our gathering room, and we're going to watch a 20 to 30 minute teaching on the life of Christ, and then we're going to break out into small groups and talk about it. So we basically have Wednesday church for the next 13 weeks. Are y'all fired up about that? Come on, it would be good. 
Then Thursday through Saturday, you'll get more devotional sent to your phone, a two to three minute devotional sent to your phone. And then the way we've structured the series is, let's, let, let's say um, we're, we're listening to what Jesus taught about forgiveness, right? So, so we will discuss that content throughout the week. Your devotionals will be related to that. And then on Sunday, we're going to come together and talk about what we've been learning about all week and, and kind of and, and tie it up and sew it together. Come on, isn't this great? Come on, are you excited for something like this? We're really believing this is, this is going to help build and edify your spirit. So here, here's the charge. There is no greater time to be connected to Destiny Church than right now. And guys, you're, you're in your workplaces, you're in your gyms, you're in your office space with people who need Jesus. Amen? So let's, let, let's go out into our community and let people know, hey, we got room for you, okay? We got room for you. And today we kick off this journey as a church. Uh, believing transformation is going to happen through this entirely. So if you're ready, say let's go. Let's go. All right, you guys can turn to Matthew chapter 9. If we could bring the lights up just a smidge here so people can read. Um, as, as you guys flip to chapter 9, we know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all the story of Jesus. They're considered the four Gospels, and three of them are written by people who actually walked with Jesus in the flesh and watched the things that he did, and they recorded an account, and then they wrote these letters for different demographics. And so as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all the story of Jesus. You'll see a lot of similarities in there. Um, but I think in Matthew specifically, it's important for us to acknowledge some of the things that have happened in and through Jesus up leading up to chapter nine. So far in the gospel of Matthew, we've seen Jesus gather most of his disciples. He's assembling a team, ministry team, He's healed a man miraculously who had leprosy. He's healed a Roman officer's daughter without even being in her presence. He just threw out his word and his word carried and healed her. And um, he's healed his, one of his disciples' moms. Peter's mom was sick. He's touched her in a divine way and one of the coolest, I, I say this is one of the more special moments in Jesus' ministry, but I can't really say that because his ministry is full of special moments, you know? But there's this unique healing of a paralyzed man that happens in Matthew chapter 9. And this isn't going to be where we spend our morning, but there's a little nugget in that story that I think is imperative as we move forward in our message today. And really what happens, kind of the story in the very beginning of Matthew chapter 9, there's a group of friends and they have a buddy who's paralyzed and they hear about Jesus and they've heard that he's healing and he's, you know, he's got some sort of supernatural power to make people well who, who are not well. So they, they lift up their friend, they carry their friend with faith in their hearts. If we can just get him down in front of Jesus, then he can be made well. So these friends, they carry their paralyzed friend on the mat. They, 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 they make a way to lay him down in front of Jesus. Everybody's sitting there and they're like watching like, I can't. You're like, bro, we're going to go play football after this, right? Like, and, and Jesus says, son, be encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. And everybody's like, what? Jesus' legs don't work. That's what we wanted you to do. Make that, make, make, make that well. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. There's religious leaders in the room or in the area. And it says that Jesus hears their thoughts. You know, Jesus can hear your thoughts too. 
It says Jesus hears their thoughts. He doesn't even hear their words. It says he hears their thoughts. And their thoughts sound something like, who does this guy think he is that he can forgive sins? Only God can do that. What is he saying? That's blasphemous. What does he think he's God? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. But he can hear their thoughts. And he says, what's easier for me to say his sins are forgiven or for me to say, get up and walk, take your mat and go? And then Jesus says, get up, take your mat and go. And the paralyzed man is physically healed. Now what is so special about this moment is the physical healing Jesus performed proved that the spiritual statement he made before was true. So really what Jesus is showing is his physical healing gave evidence that his spiritual healing had happened, that his sins were actually forgiven. Jesus, Jesus is showing people, I actually have the ability to, to heal the sins of people. So he's almost, he's giving these, these, these little nuggets that he is the Messiah, that he does have the ability to forgive sin. Jesus, Jesus proved that he had the invisible ability to forgive sins by performing a visible physical healing. That's what happened. So Jesus is whispering who he is and what he's on earth for. There's this buzz around Jesus. So let's continue in Matthew 9. We pick up in verse 9. Y'all at Matthew chapter 9? Okay. It says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other distributable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he didn't even wait for his disciples to answer. He just decided to answer their question himself. He said, hey, Pharisees, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. That'll preach. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want to show you. Uh, go and learn the, the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. And Jesus goes on to say, for I have come to call those who, uh, call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Man, as I was preparing this message this week, had a conversation with my wife and with Pastor Josh and said, this might be one of my favorite messages that I've prepared in a long time. Because I really believe if we can grab hold of this, it will be transformational to us as a church. Um, and, 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 you know, there's times where I'm putting messages together. You guys know that the teacher learns just as much as the students in these moments, right? And, uh, 
I was convicted as I, as I put this together. So I'm praying it does the same for you. I want to share a quick story with you guys, though, before I jump into this. About five years ago, I had to drive to Illinois. My buddy was having a wedding. And at this point in life, you know, we had this, we had this tight-knit group of friends, uh, me, me, me and a couple other guys. And, man, we just had a blast doing life together. I'm not going to say we always made great decisions together. You know, your, your preacher may have spent a, couple, a, a day or two in the club, just being real, just telling you where I'm at. Um, you know, you guys don't need someone who's always right, but you do need someone who's real. Amen? So uh, y'all got your story too. So, so anyways, we, we had some moments. We shared some incredible memories together, but we're getting older. We're maturing. We're making better decisions. I thankfully found the Lord. I found Jesus. I needed him. And, uh, you know, we, we've gotten married. We've started our careers. So for us to spend some time together was just not something that happened often. This is a special occasion, and we are fired up that we get a weekend to celebrate our buddy, and we, we, carpool, we, we carpool up to uh, Illinois, and, and we just have this incredible weekend together as we celebrate our buddy being married. And on the way back, we, we get some time, and as we were coming back, I specifically got one of my friends who was on the trip in my car to myself. And tell you the truth, he was one of the ones I was closest with. So I was excited. I hadn't really got a whole lot of time with him. I wanted to catch up. I wanted to ask him about life, where he was at, what was going on. You know, was he, was he dating someone? Was he whatever? Where, what are you at? What are you doing, man? Just share with me what's going on. And so as we're in the car, we, we, you know, we start catching up and having conversation. And remember, eight, like an eight-hour drive, and, and we're in the car, and you know, like I said, he had, uh, we hadn't always made great decisions together, but he could see that something was happening in my life and, you know, transformation was taking place in me. And, and he had questions about that. And he goes, man, this, you know, I, I was in ministry now. I was getting into ministry and there, there was this real turnaround, real repentance was taking place in my life. And he's like, dude, just like talk to me about that. What's going on? What, what happened in your heart? What was, what was, you know, why, why is this going on? And we started talking about things, you know, he saw me do things and, and, and that I had found freedom from and wasn't taking part in anymore. And he was like, man, how did you, how did you find that? And he goes, man, have you ever, uh, have you ever, you know, struggled with something that you feel like you couldn't get free from? And I'm, and I'm like, I, I don't know, man, Jesus has been really good. And I'm just, you know, I'm basically preaching to this guy in my car, but the conversation gets deeper and deeper, and I kind of start to get the sense that maybe he's getting at something, and maybe he has something he wants to tell me, and so our conversation gets deeper and deeper, and he continues asking conversations, and, and I'm just getting to the point where I'm like, dude, what's going on? Are you, are you struggling with something? Like, you know, you got to keep in mind, I'm a, I'm a preacher, and it's not very often someone has a conversation with me and starts the conversation with, Pastor Mark, I've never told anyone this before. You know, that happens often. So it's not very often someone says something to me that's going to like really rock my world. Not, not that I don't have sympathy for those things, but I just get that, hey, we're all broken and we've all been through it. Like I'm there. So I'm like, man, what's going on? Share it with me. Share more dialogue. And after a bit more conversation, he finally comes out and confesses in my car. He says, um, he says, Mark, he goes, I'm attracted to men, dude. He goes, I'm gay. He goes, I've cried. I've prayed for God to take it away. I've wept in altars. I'm in no way attracted to females, and I've, and I've felt this way since middle school. Now, especially because my experience in, in ministry, like I told you, it's, it's not very often someone says something to me, and it's like, 
I'm, I'm totally rocked. Um, but, but in this moment, I, I really, I want to be transparent with you guys, not to be offensive, but, but to help somebody, right? Like, and, and, and again, I, I said it earlier, but you don't need a leader who's always right, but you do need a leader who's always real. And I really believe in my vulnerability and in my weakness this morning, I'm, I'm going to help somebody. So um, I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys and, and really share with what I was experiencing. When, when my friends told me this, I began in that moment in the car, I start feeling this whirlwind of emotion sorting through a million different thoughts that I have, knowing what the Bible says about homosexuality and, and how it is sin and God's design uh, is for man to be married with woman and that was God's design for creation and anything outside of that is not of God but at the same time I love this dude and I really, I want him to feel valued and loved and I don't want to hurt his feelings but I want to honor God above honoring men. So I want to respond in grace and truth, but I don't even really know what to say. And I'm even trying to think of, you know, the specific scriptures. And I'm just so rattled in this moment thinking like I've, I bro, like I've watched this dude kiss girls. I've, I've watched it. I've shared incredible moments with this dude. I've laughed with this dude. I've cried with this dude. I, I, I genuinely love this guy. But, but he's sharing with me his journey with, with homosexuality in my car. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there totally shook. Like, what in the... And up to this point in my life, and this is where, this is where I'm being vulnerable, up to this point in my life, like, that was joke-worthy for me to hang out with a gay dude. He might hit on me. Right, he tried to kiss me, you know, uh, ignorant, but, but that's how I felt. No, I don't, I don't go there. Uh, bro, don't get too close to me. You're like, yeah, yeah, you know. The, 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 the cliche thoughts. Ew, bro. How, how, could you, how could you be attracted to another dude? That's disgusting. So I'm just sitting in my car and I just start asking, I just start trying to seek to understand, just start asking questions, difficult questions, questions, and he's answering them. And we're just engaging in this incredible dialogue, talking about this walk and this journey. And man, man, there isn't, there isn't, there isn't rape involved. There isn't trauma involved, right? He, he was raised in a Christian home, and I'm just, I'm just, my mind's being blown. I'm just, you know, my thoughts and, and my preconceived ideas, I'm, I'm being rattled in this moment. And, and, and he didn't even want the feeling. He hated that he had the feeling. He, he was telling me stories about being at youth camp, crying in the altars, weeping, you know, demanding God to take this from him. Yet, yet the desire remained, and he couldn't to find freedom from it. And this moment was so powerful for me again. And I know this sounds horrific, but this is really where I was at um, um, because I would have never imagined that I could be best friends with someone who was gay. And here I am in my vehicle sitting next to someone I dearly love and I'm realizing, I'm reflecting on, even as he shares this, he was gay the whole time we had incredible moments together. Every time we hugged, every time we laughed, 
every time we cried together, every time we encouraged one another, every time we hung out. And I actually discovered I, I really love somebody who's gay. I actually have the ability to associate and love somebody who's gay. And in this moment, I discovered that for so long, here's the most tragic part about it. In that moment, I get rocked by the Holy Spirit because in this, in this moment, what's revealed to me is I have allowed people's life choices to dictate how worthy of my love they were. I have allowed people's lifestyle choices to dictate how worthy of my love they were. So we finished the conversation, and man, I encouraged them to remain abstinent. I, you know, I shared based off the truth of God's word, I had to believe homosexuality wasn't God's design. It was considered um, sinful behavior, but I also encouraged them, bro, don't let your brokenness hinder your pursuit of Jesus. He still has good things planned for you. But I wonder, are there people in this room in this moment who are like I once was and, and sometimes still am, and you allow people's lifestyle choices to dictate how worthy of love they are from you? Let, let me talk to my, to my white conservative Christian church for a minute as, as your leader. Maybe some of us have no problem putting up a post saying something off color about Joe Biden. And, and we forget, God made Joe Biden too. Like God's got plans and purposes for Joe Biden too. Maybe you got a coworker who biologically is, is a female or is a boy, but they claim to be a, a girl or a guy and, and they that's their rhythm, and, and we just kind of write them off as weird and, and just silently conclude to, um, you know, we're going to limit our interaction with them and because they're a weirdo, and that's just the best option for us. What, what about if someone moves to town, new job, and, you know, we, we plan on helping them, but we find out that the new job is actually working at the local abortion clinic. Do we still show up to help them move? Now, maybe you're sitting in here and you're offended, Maybe you're sitting in here, and you even have this thought. Maybe you're ready to walk out. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, oh, this is one of those churches. A little hip, trendy pastor who thinks he's cute, and he wants to all preach grace, and he doesn't really want to bring God's word, what it is. And, you know, he's scared to talk about the truth because people won't come in his church. Oh, no, I get it. They want to grow. They, want to, they just want a big church. No, really what I'm trying to do as your pastor right now is I'm trying to... I want you to feel the weight of how scandalous and provocative Jesus' ministry was. Because Matthew was a tax collector. Now, if you know nothing about biblical antiquity, then that means nothing to you. But in this time, that meant everything. That's where the power is found in the story, who Matthew was. To the Jewish community... I don't know that there was a worse human being than a tax collector. And, and I'll share with you why. The people of Israel, the Jewish people, they're being severely oppressed by the, by the Roman emperor at this time. And, and part of it, I mean, this, this oppression is gruesome. The, the Romans are bullying the Jewish people, put simply. And, and you think about, you know, in some of the grossest ways, you, we, we got Jews who are being buried alive. Jews being thrown off cliffs, Jews being crucified, right? This oppression taking place. 
really through what I would consider as just demonic leadership. And part of the oppression from Rome is to, to severely tax the Jewish people, right? So they can't grow in their wealth, so they can take everything they can. But, but they need people to be tax collectors. So what they offer to Jewish people is if you'll be a tax collector, we'll, we'll keep you safe. Whatever money you collect for, for the Rome, you can keep whatever's left over for yourself, for your own wealth. So really what we see is this tax collectors, oftentimes what they are, are they're Jews who are traitors to their own people, who oppress their own people for their own self-gain. So they become un unclean. Jews won't even associate with them. You, you know, Jesus even uses parables to, 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 to teach heavenly lessons, right? And he will use tax collectors in his parables, and the tax collector represents the worst kind of sinner. Tax collector is synonymous with sinner, much like some of the other titles we've talked about this morning. So I want you guys to feel that. You know, and maybe it's not a perfect comparison, but I want you to feel the weight. When, when Jesus calls this tax collector, I want you to really envision and understand the kind of person he's calling. Because there's power in that. So let's read. With all that in mind, Matthew 9, 9. You plop into the story. Jesus is walking along the road. Let's watch what happens. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Hey, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus, whoa, whoa, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, he's a tax collector. Whoa, 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 Jesus. Do, do you not realize who this man is? Do you not realize what he's um, uh, involved with? Do, do you not realize that this man is, is, his behavior is beyond gross? Jesus, do not, do not, you're, you're a religious man, you're a spiritual man. God wants nothing to do. God wants you to have nothing to do with, with that man, Matthew. Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus invites Matthew to be his disciple. He says, come and be my disciple. So I want to talk about that word disciple. What does that mean? When Jesus says to Matthew, follow me and be my disciple, what is Jesus actually asking of Matthew? What's his expectation when he asks that? What does that mean? When Jesus says, Matthew, come and be my disciple, well, so, so I did a deep dive here. I wanted to look at that word disciple in the original language, in the original text. Now, I'm going to do my best to, um, to uh, pronounce it. Here we go, grace. Mathetes. Come and be my mathetes. Okay. <laughs> and really what the word means and its true definition is learner. Jesus says to Matthew, a tax collector, follow me and, and be my learner. Follow me and let me teach you. Follow me and be my student. Follow me and be my pupil, be my disciple. Follow me and be my learner. Write this down. There's a grand difference between being a hearer of Jesus and a learner of Jesus. And I'm scared that we have a lot of churches that have just listened to Jesus but haven't learned from Jesus. There's a lot of Christians who have listened to Jesus but they haven't learned from Jesus. 
If 2021 is going to be a year of transformation where we emphasize discipleship, we can't just listen to the words of Jesus. We have to follow Jesus. We have to learn from Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus. And you know what happens to Matthew when he started following Jesus? Is he fell in love with him. Now, I want you to consider, I, I, I know for a fact, based off the principles and other teachings we've seen Jesus give, I know Jesus is displeased with, what, with Matthew's actions of being a tax collector. I know Jesus doesn't support that. That's not a life Jesus wants Matthew to return to. This is part of the reason Jesus has said, hey, c- come and learn from me. I want to show you a new life. I want to show you a new way, right? But even though there's this disagreement, even though there's, there's tension there, we see that as Matthew spends time with Jesus, he actually falls in love with Jesus. And I just wonder if we were to hang out with the sinful people in our lives, would they fall in love with us? And we know that Matthew falls in love with who Jesus is because just in verse 10, it says later. So they've spent um, an amount of time. We don't know how much. Let's say three weeks, whatever. Throw it out there. Later. Matthew says, hey, Jesus, come on, come on over for dinner, man. Yeah, 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 I'll cook for you. Enchiladas. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, is it cool if some of my other friends are going to be there? You know, I got this. I'm trying to think of like a name of, of no one in the room. Like I got this girl. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Some name, you know. <laughs> she, you know, she's a harlot. Like she's a harlot. So is it, is, but is it cool if she comes? Jesus, I got, I got a couple of other people, like, they're, they're kind of broken, but they're going to be at dinner, too. Is, is that cool? Jesus like, yeah, man, that's good. That's good. Enchiladas, right? Yeah. <laughs> so in verse 10, we literally see Matthew. He invites Jesus in, and Jesus sits down at a table with a bunch of gross, disgusting people, sinful people. He starts eating with them. Check this out. Let's read it together. Verse 10 says this. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Some strong language right there. Like, all right, Jesus, as if Jesus wasn't asking, you know, as if Jesus asking this tax collector to be his disciple, his teacher, wasn't um, provocative enough, Jesus now has outdone himself. He's at a table full of sinners eating food. This is, this is for a Jewish teacher, for a Jewish rabbi to do this. He risks becoming unclean, which then hinders his work and access into the temple. This is why the religious leaders, they, they won't associate with these people. I don't want you to make me unclean. I can't even be around you. Yet Jesus is sitting at a table. Yeah, let me get a bite of that. To, to put it simply, Jesus is breaking all the religious rules. Jesus isn't avoiding sinners. He's pursuing them. We've never seen this. Now, now keep in mind who Jesus is. Jesus claims to serve the same God that you serve. Jesus has even hinted at this point of being the Messiah. He's a rabbi. He has followers. He has disciples. He's training people, claiming he serves the same God, yet his actions would show, dude, you're not doing what all these other guys who say they follow God are doing. Yours is totally different. That's the point. 
Jesus overhears the Pharisees asking the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? You know, I think, I think we have to remember there's a conversation Jesus has with his disciples and they say, Jesus, what's the, what's the most important commandment? I mean, we love following you around and doing all these cool things and trying to honor the Lord with our lives. And, and that's really the Pharisees. They want to do their best job. To, they want to follow all the rules and they want to know all the scriptures and they want to follow them to a T and they don't want, to, they don't want anything to mess that up. And, and so the disciples say, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And you know what Jesus says? To love God and love people. And people will know the way that you love God by the way that you love others. Jesus overhears them say, the Pharisees say, why, why, why does your teacher eat with such scum? So Jesus just takes it upon himself to answer. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, which is kind of hilarious, because you've got to consider who he's talking to. He says, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. All right, guys, when, when he says this, he's talking to religious leaders. He's talking to Pharisees. Pharisees have devoted their entire lives to memorizing, internalizing, and teaching the scriptures. They know that scripture. They kn- think they know what it means. Jesus is being sarcastic, okay? Jesus has a sense of humor. Go and learn what this scripture means. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Jesus continues and says, For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus has the audacity to speak to a group of of men who are well-versed in their scripture reading to go go check with it. Go, Go find out what this means. The problem is the Pharisees are confident in their own righteousness. And the only righteousness that is going to make us fit for heaven is a righteousness that's not our own. It's a righteousness we receive. So in the beginning of the message, I said there was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the the four Gospels. So we've been in Matthew's this morning, but in Luke's Gospel, Luke is like famously known for having a ton of Jesus's parables. And a parable, it was, you know, a tool that Jesus would use for teaching heavenly principles. A parable is an earthly story, but there's a heavenly meaning kind of like embedded into it. And conveniently, there's actually a parable towards the end of Luke that includes a Pharisee and a tax collector which is like so relevant to this situation that we're in in uh, Matthew. Sorry, I felt my string pulling. So let's look at it. Luke 18, verse 9 through 14, it says this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, this is who Jesus is saying this to. Jesus is, is so confident. I love it. He's so bold. You know, we talk about Jesus being lion and lamb, and this is one of those perfect examples where Jesus is being an absolute lion. Um... He says, so to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, thank you that I am not like other people, like robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance And he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast, which is a sign of mourning, which was a sign of repentance. 
And he said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Christians, when, when we answer the question, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a learner of Jesus? I just wonder, do we live like we've learned from Jesus? Or have we become so prideful to think because we go to church, because we tithe, because we love our kids and we read our Bibles every once in a while, we'd be better off in our comfortable Christian bubbles, you know, all clean. Lord, forgive us because when you told us to go and make disciples, I don't think that's what you envisioned. And if, we are, and if we're really disciples of Jesus, that's not us following and learning what Jesus taught us to do. Jesus said there's a really great command, love God and love others. I think sometimes we can judge people for living like they don't know Jesus. But the reality is every single day we make decisions that would suggest maybe we don't know Jesus either right? Or am I the only one? Right? Every, every day we make those decisions, yet, yet, yet we have this expectation. We know, we have confidence that God has poured out his mercy and grace, and he's still chosen to love us, and he's given us his righteousness, which we did not deserve, yet we live in a manner that says, but I'm worthy of this mercy. No, you're not. No, you're not. I don't think the Pharisees are the only ones who get confused about Jesus' mission. Honestly, as I was putting this together, I think I've had some confusion about Jesus' mission for me. I think sometimes as Christians, we get it confused too. The Pharisees, they're expecting a Messiah who would crush the sinful and support the righteous. The Pharisees had little place for someone who would accept and transform the, sin, the, the sinner. But you have to keep in mind, God loves people. So his mission wasn't to come, right? It wasn't to come in, in, in like they're all wanting, especially the, because they think the Messiah is going to come deliver them from Roman oppression. No, 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 God's plans are greater than that. He was coming to deliver us from sin. But what they didn't recognize is that he didn't come to just, walk, to just wipe away the sinner. He came to transform the sinner because he loves the sinner. So For us to experience transformation, I'll tie this whole thing up here, uh, wrap it up. For, for us to experience transformation in 2021, discipleship is imperative. Following Jesus is imperative. We cannot experience transformation without discipleship, right? Following Jesus. But for us to be disciples and make disciples, we have to be learners. And for us to be learners, we need a teacher. And the only teacher that's worthy, the only teacher worth following is Jesus himself, right? We need Jesus. And, th and this is why I'm so fired up about this 13-week series that we're titling Life of Christ. Because I really believe if we can grab hold of this, and really see Jesus for who he was, if we can really understand his mission and his ministry, and we can really learn to do the things Jesus did and to love the way Jesus loved, I think in 2021, 
DCM is going to leave behind its corny Christianity, its corny conservative Christianity. And in 2021, the people of DCM are going to look a whole lot more like Jesus. And a church that looks like Jesus is a church that's dangerous. Let me tell you that. A church that looks like Jesus is a church that's probably going to offend people. They don't get it. But guess what? I'm on mission to love people. I'm on, I'm on mission to bring people in. I'm going to pursue people no one else would. I'm going to love people nobody else would. And you know what I'm going to say? Hey, hey, I know you don't have it all together, but that's, that's okay. I don't either. Let, let's follow Jesus. Hey, come on. Let's, let's follow Jesus. In, in a church that looks like Jesus might just impact a county of 40,000 people. Let's not forget, Jesus said, John wrote in his gospel, he said, they're going to know that you love me. People are going to know that you love God by the way that you love others. That's how they're going to tell that you're my disciples. Man, there was every part of me, I could have, I'm telling y'all, I could have preached this for three hours because not, not only are we Matthew, not, not only can I preach to the Matthew in us, I can preach to the Pharisee in us too, right? But, but come on, we need to be the man in the middle, the man who connects us all, the, the man who made a way for us all, amen? But, but, but all, really what I want us to grab hold of because we're, we're gonna spend plenty of time talking about Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. I just wanted us to grab hold of this. Just how spectacular and provocative the love of Jesus is. And for us to adopt that love ourselves, for us to live out that love ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want, us, I, I want us to know we are to learn to live with that provocative love ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I get fired up thinking about a church that is actually full of disciples of Jesus Christ. Because a church that really learns from Jesus and loves Jesus is a church that is transformed by Jesus. And that's going to be a church that plunders hell and populates heaven. Amen? And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He's the way. So I finish this with this. Um, I want to talk to the Matthews in the room. Revelation says that Jesus is knocking on the door of our heart, waiting to come in and inhabit our heart. That, that verse in Revelation, it says he's knocking on the door of our heart, inviting us in so he can come and eat with us. He'll come in and eat with us. Well, what do we see happen when, 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 when Matthew encounters Jesus? When Jesus says, hey, follow me. When Jesus knocks on the door of Matthew's heart, he brings them in. He brings them in and, and they share, share a meal together, right? I, I love that correlation. I love that connection. But in the same way Jesus invited a tax collector like Matthew to be with him, Jesus, in this very moment, he's inviting all of us. Hey, come and be my disciple. Come and follow me. Doesn't matter if you're a tax collector. Nothing disqualifies you from this love, right? Are you broken? Are you guilty? Are you addicted? Are you angry? Do you feel unworthy? Perfect. Come on, follow me, right? We're, we're, <laughs> that's exactly who Jesus is looking for in this moment. The beauty of Jesus is that he doesn't wait for us to get clean so then we can follow him. He invites us into relationship with him, knowing that he'll be the one who cleans us up. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.